My friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. I am Kevin Williams. That guy across from me that you can't see because we're an audio podcast is Robert Harrison. I'm hiding behind the microphone. It's you, as, you almost can. It's as big as my head. Eat a steak, man. Mm. <laughs> Hang on, let me turn sideways. Look, I disappeared. <laughs> <Lost> <laughs> Still. Oh, man. What's going on with you this week, sir? What do the people need to know about Robert Harrison and, and the craziness that I experienced when I pulled up? I was just doing some landscaping. There was nothing crazy going on. It's just routine landscaping like everybody does. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, most people like to put light up fish in their yeah. landscaping and paint their walls blue so that it looks like you're underwater. It's That's the, normal. Well, we teased it last episode. It's the beginning of Robert's undersea adventure. <laughs> Complete with a treasure chest? Yeah, it's got a treasure chest. It's got light-up fish. It's got seagrass. It's going to have a jellyfish hanging from a fishing pole. <laughs> Whatever else I can think of. It's It's got about a, a week more of my time, and then I'm going to move on to something else. But yeah, whatever I can get done in the next week or so, that's where it's going to be. So it started with the beach. Started with the like beach. a tiny little beach right outside the, yeah, the door. Like everybody has. Yeah. Like then, everybody does. Then a front porch, a front back porch. Now you've added lights. Uh, yeah, I got the lights, got all that done. And now the last piece of the puzzle for now is the uh, rubber center sea adventure. I think we'd all just like to be inside that head of yours for just no, a little while. No. Just see what's going on up there. Because that is that is just, it's so I cool. I know if you but want so to know. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun. Yes, there there are times when it's fun. Other times you're like, stop it, stop. Just just make your lunch, Robert. Just make some lunch. Speaking of lunch, is there any reason I need to hit a button? Nah, no, no. But I'm gonna I don't... tease. I promise there is research and development going on. Okay. In the test kitchen upstairs, and we will have some major major news next episode. Okay. Have so I get to hit the button. Have to, to hear do a with music? my uh, with All my right. balls. Good baby, very good. Oh. Oh, you're going to pull your balls out next Pull week. my balls out next nice. Next time we're going to debut my balls for all to see. We've had nuts on the episode, and now we're going to have my balls. <laughs> there's a difference. Yes, there's a difference. Right, Very good. different. And we're going to, like I said, I get, do a little bit more research and development. And So Rock and Pod, the next time we're at Rock and Pod, you're going to have balls. Everybody going to be balls, balls out at Rock and Pod. Grab a handful right. of my balls. Yes. See, it. We are, we're already thinking. I, I like mm-hmm. this. See? Yeah. I like what goes on in that head of yours. All right. Nothing else? No. No, no other amazing announcements for it, us? No announcements. It's just, I, I just, I kind of. So the big hoo-ha, turkey, big deal happened. And, you know, we're recovering from that. I had my entire family here. And we even had to rent the Airbnb across the street. So the firehouse is not a small home. And there's plenty of bedrooms and everything. But still, we had enough people where now that my nephew is, the older nephew is married. Oh, that's right. So we rented the Airbnb for him and his new wife. So he didn't have to. His new wife said, please, I can't stay at that guy's house. Yeah, I'm not sleeping in the basement where there's, you know, recording (laughs) equipment laying around. Stay there. Yeah, weird Uncle Robert. Yeah, so 
that's where I thought we'd be shrinking this year to a smaller Thanksgiving and it actually got a little bit larger. So it's all good. We had a good time and I gained a half a pound and I'll burn that off tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, if you have a good turkey day, go listen to Pot of Thunder, Cobras and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slam Fest Podcast, Decibel Geek, A to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, Sean Geek and Fast Fret Podcast, State of America, Rock Strikes 10, Potter Than Hell, Shout It Out Loudcast, The Ron Keel Podcast, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retrozest Podcast, and Doomed! Forget about Monty. Hey, 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 it's Monty. Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us in Obscuria.com. Like us, share us, all that stuff. Facebook, X, Instagram. Everything. Done. Everything. Well, I'm sure there are more now, but that's all we're on. The, just the main ones. Right. Exactly. Don't go down a rabbit hole. All right. So we made it through another Thanksgiving here in the United States. Yes. Yeah, that's it's a local tradition here in the States. Yeah, it's, you know, a little thing we do. Yeah. Today is Black Friday. And the day you stay at home and don't venture out. And listen to only black metal. That's right. Yes. There's no reason to leave your house on days like today. Well, I left my house apparently early this morning. So this morning, Robert, I woke up around 6 a.m., and typically I would sleep in on this day, but I happened to be inside a Walmart. Did you camp out waiting for them to open? Well, I didn't know I did, but I woke up inside a Walmart and I was propped up against the end cap by the woman's underwear section. As, as that happens. When I came to. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, hello, dog's up and at him. Yeah. He does not like this story. Yeah. He's like, I'm out. I gotta go. He knows this one. So I think it was the tryptophan from too much turkey mm. that got you to just me. and blackout completely. I think it was. I think it was a blackout. It couldn't have been the wild turkey. What the hell did you just say? It was, it had to be the. Tame turkey. It had to be the tame turkey I ate. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I did black. Did you out. wash it down with wild turkey? Well, it is Thanksgiving. You're yeah. supposed to have turkey. I think so. It's it says it. Yeah. To have turkey on Turkey Day. That's Didn't what say I did. what kind of turkey. Exactly. All kinds of turkey mm. has to go down. Marinated so, turkey. Anyway, yeah, I guess I did black out. So after I got a little coffee in me, I came to my senses. I realized, Robert, this was a sign for today's recording that we're doing. Yes. And it's amazing that we're recording this and getting it out the same day. Who could imagine? We're that efficient. We're that efficient. But that's that's what we're doing. I knew that our subject for today, it was right there. And I also knew that I needed some help. So I phoned a friend because today we're going to focus on a very obscure period of time for a very mainstream artist. We're going to be discussing Alice Cooper's Blackout. I've heard about this and never delved into it, so that's two of us that know nothing about this. <laughs> okay. Alice and myself. Oh, oh right. Gotcha. Yeah. I was trying to do the math. Got it now. Yeah. yeah, so this is episode 205, Black Friday, Blackout, with Mr. Chris Sinzak. Chris, da, 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 welcome da, da, da. to the show. Do we have a theme song? Thanks, guys. <laughs>
Thanks oh. for thinking of me for this. I'm a I'm a giant fan of this era, as some of you probably know. And uh, did I hear right that Robert has not listened to this stuff? Not no. If, to if it. Kevin had just emailed me some of these songs that I could have listened to ahead of time, mm. it would have been nice. Yeah. But no, well, this, he, he's such a slacker. That's actually better because this is def- there is no in between with early '80s Alice Cooper. Ooh. You either really like this or you really don't. Because uh, I just don't. I don't see it. I don't. There's nothing in any of these albums you'd be like, that's all right. It's either you get what he was going for or you'll be completely repulsed by it. So I, I'm interested to hear what, what you think of okay. these things. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool to have somebody react to it because I know that, uh, and we'll get into it with you, Chris, about how you've uh, kind of come to love these albums in this period of time in Cooper's career. But if you don't know, Cooper's studio albums from the beginning of the 1980s have been referred to as the Blackout albums because he cannot remember recording them. So he was under the influence of uh, a new addiction at that time that was cocaine on top of him being an alcoholic as well. So you have Flush the Fashion in 1980, Special Forces in 81, Zipper Catches Skin in Ow. 82, Ow. and Dada in 83. God, I can't even say that without flinching. Yeah. So we're going to go deep into each of these. And Chris, you've been on the show before, but just so our listeners know a little more about you, tell us what's going on at Decibel Geek HQ for you. Um, it's kind of this, it, I wouldn't say same old, same old, cause we change what we do up all the time, but, uh, I think we've been in a pretty good groove lately, a good mix of obviously every other week you're going to get the geek wire, you know, rock news updates. And those have actually become some of our more popular ones. People just want to hear us kind of shoot the shit on, you know, just regular happenings. Um, and then of course, fresh blood, we brought radio sucks back and, or we're bringing it back. And, um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot, a lot of different things where there's a few interviews that are in the works where we're not the type to, t- to really go for the giant big name interview guys because you're going to hear them on somebody else anyway so it's got to be a unique artist or guest that we both feel strongly about but um, we have a few of those in the plans too but just pumping along 12 years strong that is amazing yeah for a podcast that's top zero 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 point zero zero percent you're probably right yeah, it has to be uh, unique in the world of podcasting because yeah. I, I can't think of that many that go on for that long and you guys have been no, I mean, mo- most most people get the get a clue and quit by now we just don't know when to stop <laughs> well i think the statistics are the average podcast has four episodes like there's so Man. many podcasts that the average is four episodes so wow. you guys have been doing this 12 years consistently yeah not wow. once a year but <laughs> <You're> right <laughs> right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like every, what do you guys, every other week? Is that what it is now? We shoot are? for every week, but it usually works out to every, around every 10 days. Right. It's just because yeah. our work lives are crazy. On the metric calendar. Yeah. Well, I love the yeah. um, GeekWire stuff that you throw in in between the other episodes. I think it's great. I love that yeah, you guys started doing that. Well, for a long time, we resisted doing a, a like a current news show. I remember but you we saying always that. Wa- well, because the whole thing, especially when I started in podcasting it was 12 years ago, was it was more like produce what they called evergreen content where somebody five years from now would want to go listen to that episode. And I was always like, well, if it's the week of this, you know, the news happenings, who's going to want to listen to that five years from now? But then I was like, well, fuck it. We want to talk about this stuff. So well, that's why we Do you go back it. and listen to something 10 years ago? I mean, if I've been doing this 10 years, it'd be like the Facebook memories when they pop up. You're like, oh, wow, okay. And sometimes you cringe. But <laughs> is there any episodes like that? I always like cringe. That? I always do. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I to this day I hate my voice. I, I I can't stand it. I Aaron and I go. To, he does most of the editing these days, but or we'll trade off. And anytime it never gets easier. Even after twelve years, I listen. I'm like, God, he sounds like a fucking idiot. So <laughs> yeah, the fact that anyone listens always surprises me because I can't stand the way I sound. Put a lot of echo and reverb on it, and some flange and phasers. <laughs> Make it sound cool. Oh, I paid for the high dollar roadcaster and everything, and uh, it, yeah, still hate the <laughs> still hate the way it's. Yes, I'm part of that club. Yeah. Well, I think we've said it before, and, and I'll just go ahead and say it again. If not for Decibel Geek, there would be no in Obscuria. So, yep. you know, thank you guys for being there for 12 years and for giving us the inspiration to even do this on our own. It was me coming on to an episode of Decibel Geek talking about obscure Japanese metal where you guys were like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And it made me realize like, hmm, yeah, I probably need my own forum because uh, I'm a little bizarre for some of these shows. He didn't want to well, drag your that, show down. <laughs> no, that that was that was a great episode and it was it was really cool to get I, the my favorite any my favorite thing about Decibel Geek and podcasting is getting turned on to new music. And and you really brought it with that one. And and I'll t- I don't know if I told you. I think Aaron's wife hated you for a little while because oh. he went went on like a fucking spending spree uh, <laughs> with Japanese metal after that episode. Yeah, and they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shipping costs. Yeah, he was he was buying like imports and stuff. And I'm like, wow, he's like he went really all in on it. Nice. Oh, good. Yeah, that makes me feel good. Not not for his wife, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so I know you're you're kind of um, switching things a little bit, but is there any update on Rock and Pod? I know you've sort of handed over the reins, but yeah, is there anything yeah, Tracy's running it now, and um, but I'm still on, I guess, as you you would call it, as an advisor. Um, but I'm because it, basically it's her first time doing it on her own, but I, at the same time she wants to be able to lean on me to kind of show her how I would at least suggest how I would do it. And then she decides if she wants to do what I did or do it, do something different, but at least it gives her like a template for this year or this the next one. But yeah, as for the as far as the next one, I still need to, probably put an announcement up on the official pages but it will not be happening in 2024 um okay for a ver- variety of reasons mostly but over scheduling because it went so well in you know around april we did it in march but like the the target is around march april mm-hmm. because it did so well this time that it was kind of unanimously decided among those of us that put it together that this needs to be the time of year we do it going forward because it just works better for people and it it just it seemed right um, didn't want to go back to 100 degree August weather again. So I agree with that. Um, but the problem was in 2024, we couldn't get anything at the fairgrounds, which we love doing it at the fairgrounds and we want to stay there. So it was like, do you take it and then do it in late July? Like, you know, towards the time you used to could have done that. But at the same time, that then that makes you turn around and do one like eight months later. You know what I'm saying? If you want to stick to the April year, you know, time. So it was kind of, that was the big thing where it was kind like all right let's just push it back until 2025 we have a date in mind but until a contract is signed that's always been my superstition is don't announce a date until your contract's in place and there's a few things that have to happen before that so mm-hmm. and i hope i'm not speaking too far out of school with tracy but i think she'd be okay, <laughs> yeah. okay with me saying this much well, you but, can always tell us um, to edit it so but that's okay. ba- basically yeah and I, yeah and i might do that but <laughs> basically spring 2025 is going to be when when you can expect it and yes. i have to say when kevin said it was at a fairgrounds my image of what it is going to be like was completely different based on some of the fairgrounds that i've been to i was kind of like well a, and well, like a horse the stable? fairgrounds 
films that was in Nashville about. until just a few years ago. Yeah, was that was probably what we're thinking. Very nice facilities. They're new, but brand what year old? Seemed new. Yeah, they seemed new, but it was really nice the way everything was laid out and the, and the size of the room and everything. So, in uh, the proximity to a lot of other stuff, so it is a great location. Yeah, we thought so too. And it, it it's the type of it was kind of the ideal type of venue space that I envisioned from the first year. So, mm-hmm. and it worked good for everybody. So uh, that's uh, that's what you can expect for the next one. Yeah, spring twenty twenty five, and uh, yeah, get excited. We're working on big things for it. Awesome. We're looking forward to that. Hopefully, we'll be there again. Mm-hmm. I think we'll still be doing it, right? As yeah. far as we know. Yeah, maybe. We'll get kicked off yeah. the air. Well, that's true. That's that my could goal. always happen. Well, when the guy that started it is on the show, say, absolutely, we're going to be there. <laughs> Don't say, maybe we'll be there. That's not nice. I think you know we're going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Just bullshit me if you need to. No. <laughs> when I get tired of doing this, I want to find a way to just get kicked off the air, because I can't say that I quit doing this, but if we get banned or deleted somehow, that'll be a badge of honor. So, <laughs> Let's not be canceled, though. I want to avoid that. Well, if I can't get kicked out, then the cancel's the last straw. Then I'll just say something really stupid. And <laughs> that's it. We're done. All right. Well, let's get into this episode. And Chris, just give us a little bit of your history with Alice Cooper. I'm sure we all have different histories with Cooper and his music and different eras. But what is your exposure to Alice Cooper? I know that a few years ago, you told me that you felt like you were almost a bigger Alice Cooper fan now than, than a Kiss fan, which was that oh, was wow. a lot coming out of your mouth. So uh, give us a little background there. And that is still true. Alice is in the number one position for me now. But, uh, well, for, I could go on, on and on about why Kiss is not there. But anyway, that's for another day. Or just listen to my show every week. I'll, I'll make it clear. No, I got it out. I first heard of Alice, I think, was Man Behind the Mask, uh, the, the video for that on MTV. And I didn't even think it was that great, I, but I was getting into slasher movies. So I liked it for the connection to Friday the 13th. But I liked, you know... The trash album, the Hey Stupid album, I but I was casually a fan. I wasn't, I know, I, I hadn't dove in yet, and I kind of just ignored him for a long time, other than the radio songs. And then we started doing the show, and I start listening to a little bit more and a little bit more. And here's one um, person that I haven't mentioned in a long time, but he goes back to the beginning of Decibel Geek. He was the first guest on Decibel Geek, Mitch Lafon, and I'm not really even close with Mitch anymore. I, I wish him all the best, but he's kind of re- partially responsible for the whole journey for me because. He had become friendly with Dick Wagner and was trying to help Dick get word out for the book he was doing. And he's like, well, you just started a show. Why don't why don't you interview him? And I'm like, well, I got to do research on this because I don't really I'm not familiar with him, which basically when I did my deep dive, I didn't do my deep dive into the original Alice Cooper group. I did it into the Dick Wagner era of Alice Cooper. So which is probably why his solo era is more near and dear to me than the original band, which people like Ian Wadley and others are like, you're insane to think that, but just how I feel. Right. But it forced me to get into the Welcome to My Nightmare, Alice Cooper Goes to Hell, Lace and Whiskey. So I'm going through the 70s solo stuff and really, really loving it. Most of it. Lace and Whiskey. Eh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like a couple songs. It's got his but, Yeah. But I remember, um, but then I'm looking, you know, and like even a lot of those records I had, I had actually heard of from other fans, but then I look at the early 80s and I don't, I, like, I hadn't heard of any of these records. And Dick Wagner was involved in some of them. He wasn't involved in Special Forces or Flush. But also, I think Dada was the first one of that era I looked into. And I just like there was just something so quirky and weird about it that I don't know. And I've, I try to I view it as a historical thing because it's, you know, 30 years later that I'm listening to it for the first time. So it's different than being alive and a teenager in 1981 and hearing that. 
you have to take all those things into account, but I love his blackout period the most just because it's so different. That's crazy. Yeah. So my, I'll just give a little bit of my background with Cooper and then I'm going to go through a little bit of history. You mentioned a lot of it, but I want to kind of go through the timeline a little bit before we get into it. So my exposure to Alice Cooper was same time frame as you. So I knew of the Constrictor album and I purchased that album and it, it didn't do a lot for me. I thought it was a little hokey. Like it, yeah. You know, because it was not quite Wasp, which is what I was listening to at the time, or Kiss. Wait, you you thought Thrill My Gorilla was hokey? Yeah, you know, just Teenage Frankenstein didn't quite hit me the same way. You know, it didn't hit me like a piece of raw meat from Blackie. So anyway, <laughs> I didn't I didn't think but, that but yeah, much of it. But Kiss wasn't hokey. No, not at all. Okay. No. Not at all. Oh, okay. What are you talking about? <sighs> <laughs> it's all about timeline and where you were. So I'm, I'm like middle school age when I'm hearing this for the first time, and it's pretty current. And then... And our good friend Brandon Still somehow got his hands on a copy of Welcome to My Nightmare cassette tape. And I can't remember how he got it. I think somebody gave it to him for free. And they gave me at the same time uh, an Aussie tape. So we were both discovering Cooper and Ozzy at the same time. And then we traded the tapes to each other once we were done listening to it. And I remember Brandon saying to me, he's like, this is like 70s porno music with like rock mixed in. It's really cool. You got to listen to this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Well, he speaks from authority. <laughs> exactly. And I listen to it. I'm kind of, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> you're kind of right. It's got that. I never looked at it that way, yeah. but yeah, like, he's a little bit spot on. With yeah. that. Like a hard rock boogie nights. <laughs> like, yeah, it sort of is. Um, and then, you know, I, as I'm seeing the imagery of Cooper in the current era, which is which is Constrictor, I'm like, well, you know, obviously I'm just getting into Kiss. And, and so, you know, and we've said that name like five times now, and I have not said Kiss. Just do one, Sorry, just yeah, one big. One. That'll cover it. A, a blanket kiss. <laughs> so anyway, I, it was the imagery that kind of got me into it. And then from listening to Welcome to My Nightmare, then another friend got the Greatest Hits cassette, which that was a big one. So when you go back and you get the Alice Cooper band, the Greatest Hits, then it was like, oh, okay, we all get it now why this guy is who he is. Because it just all started to make sense and we started to get the history. Now, what I didn't know was that there was anything in between Welcome to My Nightmare and Constrictor. Because there was really... At that time, in the magazines, uh, you know, even in record stores, like th there was no history in between. You know, it was, there was no bridge. It was 10 years without a bridge. So then I kind of discovered the other albums after Welcome to My Nightmare kind of going backwards. So if you don't know, Alice Cooper Band, seven albums from 69 to 73. Those are the classic songs that most people think of. And most of those classic songs come from the five albums until 73. So the first two albums were on Frank Zappa's straight label. Not really any big hits off of those. Not great albums, but it was kind of their start. And then they had those five albums that all those hits that people think of on that Greatest Hits collection. Four of those went platinum, some double platinum, one went gold. And then, like we were talking about, he goes solo. Alice Cooper goes solo. is no longer a band. And you get Welcome to My Nightmare. And then as I was doing my discovery going backwards, I think I got Goes to Hell. So that's the one after Welcome to My Nightmare. And again, it's more of that 70s porno music that's hard rock. And then there's Lace and Whiskey. And that is where, to me, it started. he started to become like 70s AM gold because he had these ballads. You had Only Women Bleed on Welcome to My Nightmare, I Never Cry, and then You and Me. And they were all like very sappy ballads. Mm -hmm. But like incredibly well constructed. Oh, though. they're so good. They're so good. But yeah. at the same time, it was they're like... very effective. They're just not what you would expect from the guy that gets his head chopped off. Exactly. It didn't, you know, the, the drapes and curtains and all that didn't match. 
What the hell did you just say? So it was, you know, it was, uh, it was, he was hard rock, known for being that, the guy with the, you know, the horror look, and then he was doing this really poppy, syrupy stuff, and he became kind of a celebrity in the 70s, at the end of the 70s. He was on uh, The Muppets at one point. Mm-hmm. But just you know, he became like part of the the pop culture. So have it, you have you seen the the footage of him presenting an award with uh, I think it was with Diana Ross, and he ends up attacking her on stage in like a scripted bit? No, no, no. What year was that? It was, it was when seventy six or seven. It was when Goes to Hell was out. Okay, and seventy six, and they they they're just presenting an award, and like it, it's but it's writ it's predetermined. Right. But he like flips it out and like attacks her and. and and like flings her across the the stage, and it looks like he's literally a you know it's like a domestic assault thing or something. It's crazy. Um, he also does the title track on that um, award show. It's on YouTube. It's worth your time. Oh, I gotta go check that out. So he, he could have also been completely blissed out of his mind because that's the other thing. By '77, he was at his alcoholic peak, and I believe what I read was he was having two cases of Budweiser, a bottle of Seagrams a day. Good yeah. God, it just makes me throw up in my mouth right now. Uh, and you'd never know it. But you'd never know he was drunk. Very like he just drunk. he was that that he was that type of alcoholic where he was so high functioning that he got through his day just fine, but, but he ended up being puking blood in the morning. How much crazy. time do you spend just going to the bathroom when you drink two cases of beer? I have three beers. I don't know. It's like, well, there goes the rest of my day. Yeah. And Dick Wagner told us though that um when he first met him, that was like his first memory of was meeting him at his house and he's just drinking beer after beer, but he notices that Alice would drop and do ten push ups after every beer. And it was like <laughs> it was like his punishment for drinking a beer and i was like, like well, how many push-ups what he's doing he's like he's doing them all freaking day wow <laughs> insane that is crazy so that's sort of where he is at 77 after uh lace and whiskey and so what happens is he checks himself into a sanitarium or somebody checks him into a sanitarium and he used that inspiration of him i'm going to put in mm-hmm. air quotes here getting clean and sober as uh the source of his next album which is from the inside, which again is a little bit, you know, on the pop side. Uh, it's the 70s kind of pop thing, but it's got some rock tunes on it too. He co wrote it with Bernie Taupin, who Elton John's the guy. Ballad King. Yeah. Produced and, by uh, David Foster. That's right. Oh and, my God. And David See, Foster ballad. plays on it. Yeah, this is like you said, seventies gold, right? Yeah, there. it is. It is, you know. So he he went a long way from where he started with who he was in the in the late seventies of just being kind of more of a pop artist in in my mind. And the thing is, is his his even though his celebrity was going up, mm-hmm. album sales were going down. And so this was another album that didn't go gold in the states. So the the record company starting to to smell things like, hmm, something's wrong here. He goes on The Muppet Show, as I mentioned, and then most people think he kind of disappears until he reemerges in 1986 with part of the hair metal with mm. Constrictor and, and Forward. That's what some folks think, and that's what I thought. I did find these, these albums that I just talked about as a, you know, again, pre-internet, I found them, but I didn't know of these other things until I happened to be in my college radio station my freshman year. I had befriended somebody who was a DJ, and I went up there, and I was just going through the albums, and there was so many records, and I was flipping through, and I find these albums from the Blackout era, and I'm like, what the hell is this? 
and it was four albums that I'd never heard of, mm. never seen. And it was like I was in an episode of The Twilight Zone. And I had to go in the control room and put them on immediately because I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I've never seen this in my life. And my little mind was just blown because it was bizarre. It was so quirky, so weird. We're about to treat you to this, Robert. Oh, boy. So if you have any um, preconceived notions of what Alice Cooper is or was, this is going to be educational. Oh, you didn't tell me it's educational. I thought this was just entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> what a drag. I know. Let me get a beer. It's going to be fun. Either, I mean, either you're going to, I think Chris is right. Either you're going to love it or you're going to hate I'm it. Gonna start drinking. Well, try to throw your preconceived notion out the window because yeah. it's probably well, going to sound very different than what you think it would. Well, what I know about Alice Cooper is what I learned on VH1 Behind the Music. The, I was going to say, what's your history? Which is here? basically the cliff notes of Alice Cooper. So he was supposed to be this horror guy, like a horror film looking guy. And I knew his stage antics. But then, like you mentioned, when I went back and listened to some of his other stuff, I'm thinking, okay, besides these, uh, your poison, that that had just come out. So this is what, 86? Uh, When the song Poison came out? That'd be what, 87? 87, somewhere in there. Yeah, so I'm like... Okay, this is cool. And I went back and I heard what sounded like Glenn Campbell crap. I'm sorry I said that. I like, I like Glenn, Glenn Campbell. Campbell. But, you know, Glenn what is Campbell. coming from? <laughs> sorry to besmirch him. I like Glenn Campbell. Alice Cooper does Wichita Lineman. It's no. his favorite song. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, okay. I was like, David, I'm going to stop the show. I'm going to look that up. It's his favorite That's song. So don't bring that yeah, song funny up. Show, hey, song. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'd listen to it. So, anyway, <laughs> I, I was just very Alice confused, like a lot of people, where I see him playing golf and they you know they talk about him playing golf and he said he's in golf pants but he's supposed to be this scary dude and, and I just didn't I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on so you know I like his hits and I moved on I didn't really dive deep until you and I saw him in concert which confused things even more because we've told the story we saw him at a kind of a fancy venue in the middle of the fancy part of town that they screwed up and advertised it as an event you were allowed to bring wine and cheese to like you could bring food to this particular show which normally for rock shows they don't allow that but you uh-huh. know we're, we're talking about Chastain Chastain Amphitheater, Amphitheater in Atlanta and okay. they have you know these sit they down two setups like Harry Connick Jr. you're allowed to bring in a picnic basket and wine because the crowds are usually <laughs> did well you bring behaved. wine and cheese to an Alice no Cooper we didn't show? no we didn't so uh. we thought it was a rock setup which it should have been a yeah. rock setup but they didn't put it on the ticket the right way they made it the cheese and wine setup table service so basically. table service so you could order a table and then you could bring your goodies with you and have your little, you know, your nice night with your your linen and your uh, candles and whatnot. And Alice stops the show. Yeah. No joke, Chris. He stops the show, I don't know, less than like 10, 15 minutes in. He goes, are you people eating cheese and drinking wine at an Alice Cooper show? <laughs> of course, the response is, woo! Yeah! <laughs> and he's like, you realize I'm about to cut my head off, right? <laughs> woo! <laughs> So yeah, that was confusing. I still, you know, well, the the, the fact him. that you got Alice Cooper to say anything between songs. Oh, that, he that's, normally that's not. A, oh, he he broke he character. Never talks to the audience. Oh, okay. See, I've only seen him once, so I didn't know that wasn't a thing. Yeah, he I, broke I character special. a little bit, and he even um, this was when he had the staged um, kid with the Marilyn Manson shirt on, and he pulled him up on stage, you know, and uh, you know, torture him or whatever. But he instead of just doing that bit, which was part of the show, then he actually broke character and said, "Are you people <laughs> eating cheese?" And <laughs> I'd love to get that on the audio of that. That's that's gotta be funny as well. So it was it was 
like I said, great show. Is it who was the, was that Nita playing guitar then, or who was playing? No, guitar that then? was that was pretty Nita. I don't remember. I who can't was remember, but it was a shredder. Whoever it was, I thoroughly enjoyed that and the theatrics. It kept you entertained the entire show. And so then after that, I was like, okay, now I understand. I have respect for you and everything else. He, yeah. But his personality off stage was just confusing because I would see him in these weird situations that didn't fit in with his on stage well, persona. From what I've just from being a fan the last like fifteen years. It's been more of a, or I guess 12 years, but yeah, it's been, I've been able to dive in and kind of see where he, he's almost like that old Hollywood tradition, like a vaudeville performer, like where they were very, it was absolutely, it's, it's a gig. And he's acting out of character, but completely puts it away when he's not on stage. And he's just, and also since getting sober, he's just, he's channeled all that energy into good things like golf and, you know, being a healthy person. But yeah, the period we're, we're going to discuss and play songs from, <laughs> he was channeling all that into cocaine and, and alcohol and just acting like a, a madman at the time. What we refer to as the good old days. <laughs> Yeah, but if you see photos of him and uh, video of him, horrible. Joking, yeah. he looked it's horrible. a miracle he lived through this. Anybody lived through that. I was yeah. thankful I was too young to get sucked into that. Now, Robert, have you seen photos of, of him from this era? Yeah, I have. And it looks like, you know, me on a Monday morning. He's I, very, for, for no reason. He got I haven't really done any of that, thin. but I still look horrible. <laughs> he looks like a skeletal version of himself, which he was already he couldn't have weighed more. He couldn't have weighed more than like 90 pounds. Well, this yeah. is why I've never done coke, because number one, my friends would smother me in my sleep and just kill me for doing that. But yeah, I don't. I can't afford to lose weight and look even more like a heroin addict than I already do. It does smell really good, though. <laughs> <laughs> at I, least it used to. I stopped at Pixie Stick Dust right there. That was my yeah. one and done. Did a line of that and went, nope, uh, never going to do that <laughs> Saved again. Saved yourself a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. And now I have diabetes. No, just <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, let's get into this. So take yourself back to, okay, he's just released an album in 78 where he's the sobered, again, I'm putting air quotes up here. He's the yeah. sobered Alice Cooper. He's he's given you a full album about all the characters he met in the sanitarium. And you get to 1980 and, you know, sales have gone down and they're like, okay, we got to do something. We got to freshen this up. So they bring in Roy Thomas Baker to do the next album. And it's, you know, the guy that did Queen, the guy that has just done the cars and he's helped out with the new wave that's coming to be. And so that's going to be the direction that they're going to go. And they had met each other, Alice Cooper and Roy Thomas Baker had met each other at Bernie Taupin's birthday party. So here, here you go with the celebrity again mm -hmm. of how they got introduced to one another. And, you know, he's claiming to be sober, but obviously, as we said, he's nose deep in cocaine. And apparently what happened was he, he was trying not to drink and he and his wife would have these late night dinners and he would start sipping wine and then once he started sipping the wine it just wouldn't stop and so he was right back to, to drinking and I read somewhere that Baker said that they were really trying to save him with his album like they had to get him a hit because he was spending $5,000 per week on substances and in in 1980 that's a lot of money yeah and he didn't have the, the record sales to support that. He wasn't there anymore. So they were like, we got to get a hit for this guy. And apparently the other thing that Roy Thomas Baker said is that Cooper would wanted to own the lyric writing and, and obviously doing the singing. But other than that, he was completely checked out. It was like he would come in. You got a song for me? Okay, I'm going to write some lyrics. Here we go. All right, we're done. And then he would leave. So he kind of left the whole album up to Roy Thomas Baker, which is interesting. Now, he was using the musicians mostly that he 
he had from the previous album without David Foster, of course, because he wasn't producing this time. But it's interesting what we got because we did get a top 40 new wave sounding single called Clones. Have you heard Clones, Robert? No, but we did an episode of when, was it Rock Band's turn? Yeah. When, or trying to jump on the bandwagon. They were trying to go wave. new wave. Yeah. So did, didn't you play something from him? I, you know, I might have. I don't yeah. remember. But yeah, so Clones was actually kind of a hit, but not really a hit. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, I don't know when you heard it for the first time, but I had never heard this song until really in the late 90s. I think, um, yeah, I think you're, yeah, about the same for me. For some reason, I, ha- I had a buddy who was like, he, he loved like Susie and the Banshees and uh, The Cure and bands of that ilk. And but he knew that I was in all the hair metal stuff. He's like, well, I've got Alice Cooper. And he played it for me then. And I, but at the time, I wasn't ready to digest it yet. It, it's funny because there's, if I look at the 14 year old me that should have gotten into Alice Cooper big time then, and, but thinking about the 14 year old mindset of listening to this material, no, there's no way I would have gotten into it. I had to get older. Yeah, because I want, I'd be interested to hear what Robert thinks of clones. I'm looking forward to this now. So I heard clones. I think it was, uh, there was a compilation album. I had had all the Alice Cooper stuff on cassette tape and I wanted to get a CD in the 90s, you know, I wanted get the hits and so i think it was mascaras and monsters and i believe that's on there that's my homework weird. is to go out and listen all to right us. well you have to go listen yeah. to no t- let me know what you think I'll, but it sounds like alice cooper doing gary newman is what it sounds oh. like it's very yeah. gary newman which is exactly what they were trying to do it's like <laughs> yeah. on the nose <laughs> which i same thing i've come to respect him a lot more i love that song single cars or in cars but yeah. then recently if as, as I've gotten into more gothy type music came across that and found out he's still touring now and it has this huge oh, underground I him, following I saw him at South by Southwest it was sold out the yeah. venue he was in we had to wait in line for like 40 minutes all my gothy this friends like were totally ago. into him and I didn't know yep. he had that side oh. to him yeah. he was awesome I thought dude. he was like a one hit wonder and disappeared no he was great yeah I, go, go back I, and listen it's good I haven't listened to much of his stuff I probably should it's good alright so we're gonna go into this album which is Flush the Fashion, came out in 1980. So they're thinking new wave, you yeah. know, punk. Get on that bandwagon. Yeah, get on the bandwagon, get a hit. And it's really Roy Thomas Baker in control. So Chris, talk about your selection, which is Pain. Yeah, so this one, I think this is one of the best, at least solo era Alice Cooper songs of his whole catalog. And the reason why is because the song's called Pain, but it, it's basically, it's like an autobiography coming from the point of view of Pain. What the hell did you just say? It's pain describing what it does to a person in all the different forms. It's And some of Alice's lyrical content from this era is goofy as hell. Really goofy. This is one of the more shining diamonds in this the Blackout era lyrically. Although I love the goofy stuff too. I even one of my song picks is about <laughs> as goofy as it gets. Yes, it is. But yeah, but I but it's great. He's he always had a wink and a nod. But like, there's also times where between clones and this song Pain, it's some pretty deep lyric writing between the two songs. So that's the main reason I picked it. And musically, it's just got an, a really old school classic vibe to it. But it also fits in with the early '80s, if that makes any sense. All right. Let's see what Robert thinks as he's reacting to it. First time ever. All right, here is Pain from Flush the Fashion 1980. 
to go more in the new wave direction either maybe consciously or subconsciously whatever but to me that was going in another direction that was very popular and that was billy joel mm. with, with the piano work in that yeah. it sounded like you know living here in allentown and you know a lot of his mid-tempo ballads uh glass was glass houses around 1980 that was earlier was earlier so yeah uh, new wave would have been more synthy uh and poppy but that was more which is what clones is okay so, so it's, that's more the, there's this mix on this me. album and i agree with you because yeah. it's i think chris you said it too you said this has kind of an older cooper feel to it even though it's on this album where mm. they're trying to reinvigorate i, I could have heard this could have been on billion dollar babies i think it like it, it it's close enough in style that i think it could have been on one of the older records and i could have easily seen this 
in some type of horror movie, Quentin Tarantino film, during a scene where somebody's oh, totally getting sliced really up. Oh, violent, horrible your pain, scene. Yeah. Da, da, da. yeah, horribly. Yeah. But just, just, it's melodic, and it just would be a great Can we make that happen? Can we call somebody? Just take out, was it Reservoir Dogs, when he's yeah. dancing around? Just yes. edit out whatever song that was. I can't remember, but yeah, whatever it's, song. Yeah, it, it's tailor-made for a, a TV or a TV show or a movie, for sure. And the, just the idea of writing from the perspective of pain, <laughs> the, yeah. writing a song about itself. It's, it's just I love that I think it, and he did the last time I well one of the last times I saw him live was at uh, the Grand Ole Opry here seeing Alice Cooper in the Grand Ole Opry was That's a trip weird. Wow. And, and he played Pain live no actually it was at the T-Pac show where it was at T-Pac me and Aaron went and it was at the end of the show is it T-Pac uh, what the hell did you just say <laughs> no, oh, Tennessee performing arts. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, the uh, the surviving member Michael Bruce and Neil Smith came out and performed. But during that show, they played Pain, and and that was wild to hear that live. Is that when everyone went to the restroom? <laughs> no, you dicks. No, actually, everyone went crazy. Really, it was oh, all that's di- good. It was all diehards in that audience oh, that's for cool. sure. Cool. Is it because word got out that the two new the, the two older guys were coming in and all the uh, there was like people traveling from England and shit for that show. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, we were lucky to get in. So, flush the fashion came out April 1980. It made it to number 44 on the U.S. Billboard charts because of the single clones. And like I said, he used some of the same musicians as the last recording um, from the inside. So Davey Johnstone was guitarist from uh, Elton John's band. And then he had Fred Mandel. Is it Mandel or Mandel? But Freddie Mandel. He played on a lot of Cooper stuff, the solo stuff yeah. in the 70s. But he's there. He's He picked up not just keys, but he's doing guitars on this album as well. Dennis Conway on drums, same drummer he had from previous album but then he goes out on tour and he completely replaces the band gets a whole new band and he brings in guitarist mike panera who was part of uh, an la band in the 60s called blues image he was in iron butterfly for a little bit and he was part of the new cactus that was together in the early 70s that i think they made one album but Alice basically said, I'm putting together this new group. I want you to you know, come in and be the guitarist and, and bring in some folks and we'll make this new band. I want it to be different than what I've done in the past. And basically the only way he got him into the band was Mike said, I'll, I'll do it, but I, I just put out another solo album and I have to support it. I have to promote it per the label. And he said, okay, that's fine. You can open. So Mike's band, his solo band opened the gigs mm-hmm. and then he goes and plays with Alice afterwards. So that's how they did this tour. And which is interesting because I, I honestly didn't think that they even toured on these records, but they did tour on the first two. Yeah. I had a hard time picking a song here and I was looking at a song called Grim Facts, uh, another song called Dance Yourself to Death, which is like the best Rolling Stones song that you've <laughs> never heard the Rolling Stones play. And it to me, that Dance Yourself to Death could have been a hit if they would have promoted it right. But that's just my opinion. But I actually ended up going with the song called Headlines. And the reason I did is, Robert, because we used to have a song called Headlines. I was going to say, they plagiarized that completely <laughs> from us. Our band Mercy Beat had a song called mm-hmm. Headlines. So every time I, I hear it, I think of our song. So We've been trying to serve him with notice for yeah. several years and can't get in touch with this him. This sounds nothing like I, it. I didn't know you guys were time travelers. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we wrote it many, many years ago, yes. All right, so I'm going to play headlines from Flush the Fashion.
save a child Raise a million bucks that last a while Buy the parties, buy a horse Lose a couple, win that big divorce I wanna be in the headlines Anything to be in the headlines I'm a chance, I'm in the break I took the biggest float in the Rose Parade I got jailed, no disgrace A hundred million people saw my face I called a conference with the press And that's my marriage plans in a wedding dress I climbed a building, the six below On New Year's Eve without a stitch of clothes I wanna be in the headlines Very nice rock and roll fade out there. It started off with a Joe Walsh guitar riff, Mm -hmm. followed by a U2 guitar riff on top of it, which was just (laughs) a delicious combination, and then kicks into a really groovy, funky rock, classic rock sounding song that I really enjoyed. I like that song. It's the last song of the album, and it always reminded me of, at the same, around the same time, Blue Oyster Cult put out Fire of Unknown Origin. And it's them trying to be an 80s band, but obviously they're, they're still stuck in the 70s a right. little bit because that's where they came from. And this, this has the same kind of feel to it to mm. me. And I love Fire of Unknown Origin, so I, I always love this song. But that's got a great groove to it. It's fun. I, and that's a great last song because you can take the album different places and the last song kind of wraps it up. It's kind of an upbeat song and nice fade out. The the thing to me and Robert, I don't know if if you know this, so like, but Alice like ignores this whole era of his career, and probably rightfully so because of the cocaine and the the, the alcohol. It was a low point for him personally, but 
I think he's over exaggerating when he says he doesn't remember writing and recording these records. I, I think he really does because he's kind of tipped his hat to it a little bit more in the last couple of years of how much he's like, wow, there are good songs on these albums. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing is, he absolutely is chasing trends on this. I don't think anyone would argue that. I mean, he's totally trying to fit in with the times, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where, because all of us in music podcasting compare everything to Kiss. So, <laughs> I was going to say that that's one band that's uh, never ever chased they don't a trend. Do they don't do they that. They're just unique stick well, to what they're good at. <laughs> there are certain times where Kiss would chase a trend and they would land on it. Like I was made for loving you. You can't argue that that song was a humongous hit. For the record, but also I, I love that song. That was the first Kiss song that I heard, and it's always been one of my favorites. And uh, for songwriting, just, people hate that. For, for songwriting, it's a gr- really well-made yeah. song. Um, but like, but then the next year, you know, then or then then they try to be new wave with Unmask and fail miserably at that. And then the Elder and wants yeah. to be the Wall. But anyway, Kiss in certain cases sounded like they were comfortable fitting into a certain trend, yeah. but then a lot of times did not. Alice during this era, it's like uh, this era gets discounted. But like, I'll still argue if you give it a real puncher's chance and you listen to it, listen to each of these records like three times. Give it that much. Now, I bet by considered... the third time you're gonna you're gonna buy in on this, and because he sounds to me, he sounds like he's having a ball doing it. It doesn't sound like it's just chasing trends. I think he actually liked this type of music. Are any of these albums considered concept albums or light, oh, yeah. lightly conceptual? Because once again, I've not listened to these, yeah, especially now. the last. One. We've not gotten the Dada yet. <laughs> okay, but, yeah, but um, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I'm surprised that he didn't get sucked into that same thing that Bob Ezra comes on board. Well, goes tries... to hell, goes to hell. I mean, Bob Ezra was his guy. Yeah. Right. That's who yeah. did all the early Cooper stuff. Um, that's where Ezra came from. So yeah, even goes to hell was a concept. Album. Okay. But sure. We, we get one in, in Dada. We'll get to that. Okay. One. okay. <laughs> For sure. Even though, even though they didn't know what the hell the concept was when they were making. <laughs> and, and you can even say the next album we're about to talk about is a bit of a concept. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always hear now, it, you know, it's that kind of revisionist history in a little, little way. So Alice doesn't talk about these albums. People that do know it, if they know it, they know clones. And so they say that was his new wave album. Well, yeah, that some of that's on there. And it's Roy Thomas Baker kind of taking things, little nuggets from things he had done with Queen and with the cars and mm-hmm. you know, other artists he's worked with and kind of throwing it together and making an Alice record. And that's what it is. But like I said, there's, there's another song on there that sounds like a Stone song, and it's a perfect Stone song. I'd love to hear the Stones cover "Dance Yourself to Death." That would be trippy. And grim facts: if you like that song, Chuck Garrick told us that they actually got as far as rehearsing that for a tour, but they still haven't played it live. Mm. And that's the thing: he does not really go into any of these albums at all. So no, kind of, I, I was shocked when we got Pain. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feeds. You know the whole I don't know the not mystique. nostalgia but the mystique, mystique that's a good word for it yeah if you, if him not covering it not talking about it feeds the whole mystique of mm. these this era so let's go into the next album Special Forces so they basically they come off the road and you know Shep Gordon is not happy with with where they are they didn't get the big hit by spending the money on Roy Thomas Baker and so they just basically throw him back into the studio and say we need another album let's let's get to it and um, so they start the album Special Forces with the producer Richard Podolor. I don't, I don't know if that's how you say his name or not. Do you know, Chris? I think it's Podolor. Podolor, okay. Well, he was the guy that did Three Dog Night, Steppenwolf, Iron Butterfly. He had worked with Mike Panera before, the guitarist. And so, you know, that's who they brought in. And what he had done in the past was 
he used songwriters, outside songwriters, to make those bands hits. Three Dog Night mm. and Steppenwolf. He brought in outside writers to give them their hits that they had. But that's not really the way that Alice Cooper was working at this time. But he does end up having a cover song on here. So what, what was going on with Alice is he was getting really into this, what he called, guerrilla chic look. So he, he wanted, like... He, he, I guess he liked what the Clash were doing in some of these other punk groups where they were dressing in military. Kind of fatigues that are fatigues. with the sleeves cut off. Yeah, and having that 80s look, you know. That was the rage. We had some, I, I think I had some camouflage shorts back then. Oh, everybody did. Before it was redneck. Now it's just, <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that was the look he was going for, and he wanted the whole band to do it. And so he kind of took the look that he wanted for the next tour and said, hey, guys, let's write songs that work with this look and write an mm-hmm. album. So you get the album Special Forces on the cover. He's got a beret and all, you know, that whole look. And at the time, apparently, he was listening to a lot of K-Rock in L.A., which was, you know, punk, metal, even early rap. And he told the guys, like, write something that's, more out there than the stuff that we're listening to. And so that was, mm. that's what he wanted. And that's how we got Special Forces. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and tip my hat and say, this is, out of the four, this is probably my favorite album. I really love mm. this one. The original concept for this album, though, was that it was going to be a concept album and it was going to be about the L.A. rock scene from the 60s garage days all the way through to 80s punk. And they dropped that idea, but... That's the reason that there is a cover on it that is 7 and 7 is, which was a love song, the band Love, Mm -hmm. from the 60s. So that cover is on here. And that's the reason why, is originally it was going to be this whole concept album. Did you know that, Chris? I think I heard something about that, but I didn't know like the full story that you had there. But no, it's yeah, I have a different take on this album than you do. <laughs> okay, good. That's that's why I love doing this. So, give us your overall thoughts on on this album and on the song that you're about to play. Yeah, so I do like this album, and when I listen to it, I listen to the whole thing because these albums and this is that era where it, you li- album oriented rock. You you listen to the whole thing. To me, at least, that's the best way to experience it. But it's funny this one out of the the four blackout era albums this one always gets the most love and to me i think this is the weakest of the four personally okay i but it's all personal preference because maybe some of the trends he's chasing on this one are a little less what i go for like i can get down with the gary newman influence on the first one and some of that the cars sound this one though like we you know like you said he's venturing into other areas here like the the clash and shit like that and like i just didn't it didn't resonate with me which is my background so that makes complete sense what you're saying because i i started off being the punk rock kid and then got more into metal and hard rock so that makes complete sense of why this one resonates with me and like i like punk uh, but I'm more of a Ramones guy, and the Ramones were more outsiders, even though they kind of invented punk along with Iggy. But The Clash, I never liked The Clash. If you want to listen to the greatest Ramones tribute album, listen to the first Clash album. Agreed, I mean, agreed with ri- you. Agreed with you. It's That's them exactly ripping off the Ramones. But anyway, but like the, then I just, this one's just, just more of an oddball record to me. I do like certain things, although Seven and Seven is, God, I hate that cover. And like the, <laughs> um, be, be, um, be, 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 yeah. it's just so stupid sounding and prettiest cop on the block. The video is more embarrassing than the song. And that's really saying something. It's not a great, this is not, this album is not a good look for him. I still like it and listen to it, but this is the low point of that era, but everyone else loves it and thinks I'm crazy for saying that. And I'm one of those persons. Yeah. But now for me, I pick the, the song that ends the record vicious rumors. And, um, it's just kind of got a frantic feel to it. And lyrically, I think it's really, really cool. 
he's definitely high out of his mind when he wrote it because you could tell just by the way the lyrics come off but it there's something brilliant in that and Dwayne Hitchings is somebody who lives here in Nashville and will never respond to any of my requests to interview him because I would love to hear about his experience working with Alice at that time because he was heavily involved with this you have know you, have you sent a honey baked ham along with your request what the hell did you just say See, I have not tried that but that, that's a good idea that works for me I think so. the dog disagrees with me, though. Uh, there, oh my God! It's <laughs> worst case scenario at my house right now. I mean, it's Armageddon. There's a dog on a leash walking past my Dude, house right now. I've got He's two giant dogs. I've got two giant dogs in the next room, and I'm amazed they haven't gone ape shit yet. Yeah. So don't worry. Just, my yeah. turn's coming. It's it's a dog on a leash <laughs> walking past my house. My dog is like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay back to Alice <laughs> this, this episode is as oddball as this era of Alice Cooper did nothing to him it just made the mistake of walking past the firehouse <laughs> I was going to come back to Dwayne Hitchings but I can't remember what I was, oh I know what I was going to say um, so apparently he was brought in by Mike Panera as well because I guess they were part of the other version of Cactus yeah and it was also before Mike started his um, successful line of uh, sandwich shops what the hell did you just say that's no they, that's a different every time you say that I start jonesing for soup in a bread bowl <laughs> and I I'm might be so saying hungry it, I might be saying it wrong no that's Panera's Panera <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I'm so hungry right now damn it <laughs> Okay, well, with that, we're going to hear a little vicious rumors. They know my volatility. 
why you're getting progressively numb. So that was classic early 80s punk, except for the vocals, because it was his voice was way too mellow to match the punk rock edge of the, you know, like I said, early 80s, not new wave, but it wasn't hardcore punk like Orange County punk or anything like that. It was good, but it, normally his vocals have more grit to them. And I, I think that he missed out on that. I agree with that. Yeah, that's it's like post nap punk. Exactly, <laughs> like a big meal, Thanksgiving meal. And he's kind of like, if he's if he's doing cocaine, you would think he'd be really yeah. up. It sounds really stone punk. Yeah, well, maybe that was his drunk punk, drunk punk. Ah. There was like an underlying sarcasm to the character during this period. It seemed like. Yeah, and we're going to get into a little bit about the character change with the next album, I think. But yeah, yeah, he's still so Alice Cooper as a character at this point in time is still the victim. That was the way that he had always envisioned the character of Alice Cooper. He's mm-hmm. just the victim. Everybody's whipping boy. He, he he's starting to change that as we go through this era, and it changes until this day to what he goes to. So, all right, let's see. This album was released September 1981. It reached 125 on the U.S. Billboard charts, and it was the first since the Frank Zappa label days to not hit the top 60. So the whole throw them in the recording studio mm-hmm. and get them, get another album out really quickly. It's not working. It's not working. But unfortunately, they're, they're not going to heed their own warning here. So they did tour the U.K. and Europe very successfully with this album. Sold out everywhere they went in mm-hmm. Europe. But it was mainly because he hadn't been back there in a while. And when he was there, was at the height of the Alice Cooper solo days. And so he just, he had hungry fans that wanted to see him. And he did this TV special in France. And I'm curious, Chris, have you watched this? It's called Alice in Paris. Oh, yeah. A, cu- a couple times. Yeah. And, and that's it's, where all of this interesting. horrible, it's basically him with this version of the band kind of doing, uh, I don't know, what would you even call it? Like performance art? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're basically performing newer songs and older songs and just making music videos, but it was like a TV special. Nothing's live. Mm-hmm. It's just them kind of doing their songs. Like a, It's a lot of mugging for the camera. <laughs> yeah. But it, at one point, they are in their, their get-up, so they're all in the guerrilla warfare get-up, and, and the other thing that he did was he made the band all look like they were injured so they all look like zombies basically and 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 cooper himself looks like a zombie but it's like really poorly done Mm -hmm. so it comes across laughable b movie c movie c movie exactly they play go to hell i don't know how he got away with this they play go to hell in front of notre dame 
they actually agreed to let them perform in front. Oh, I never noticed that. That's cathedral. where that's the location. <laughs> yeah, that's where they well, you, you can do it once. That's it once. You're done. Yeah, you can do it one time. <laughs> And it looks like one take. Uh, apparently, the priest did come out and talk to Alice. And I don't know what state Alice was in, but somehow he convinced the guy. He's like, I'm talking about the same thing you preach about. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm talking about doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. So and so the priest is like, okay. <laughs> That's Alice. You can talk his way out of any salesperson. <laughs> oh, man. And they do, I thought this was amazing. They do cold ethyl and only women bleed in a meat locker around yeah. all this meat. And I'm like, okay, that's real meat that people are going to eat. And Alice Cooper is like putting his, stuff putting all his over hands it. all over it. And <laughs> <laughs> he's got like a, the dummy of the woman that he yeah. used to use during those songs. Well, like, nobody said anything when Rocky was in there punching the hell out of some yeah. it, steak. As long as you cook it to temp, you should exactly. be fine. That's why so. you, exactly. That's why he cook it with a thermometer. <laughs> a lot of meat talk on this show. <laughs> Once again, damn it, I'm starving. This is We're recording at a slightly different hour than usual, and that's thrown me off. I thought I could make it through without eating, but no. Uh-oh. I have to break and go get a sandwich. All right. So I mentioned that they had this whole war zone looking uh, look to them, but they also had this stage that looked like that. I've never seen any footage from the live setting for this, but apparently it was really cool. And it kind of reminded me of another band that did it in, you know, the early nineties, you know, that band, uh, Pearl Jam. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's another kiss connection with a K. Because, yeah, basically what Kiss did for Revenge, Alice Cooper kind of invented that with this tour, apparently. Yeah, yeah. But, again, I've not seen any videos or anything like that. Have you ever seen any footage, Chris? Well, I'm thinking of the Passaic footage, but is that Flush the Fashion Tour? I the Passaic so. 81 footage? Or, no, that's Special Forces. Is it, well, is it the, um, I'm trying to think, is that the one? It's the black and white footage. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it is. But it, you, I mean, it's a, it's black and white concert foot. It's like Kiss Winterland. It's, you can't exactly really see any much going on with the stage show. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really dark. Yeah. Apparently, it, it went over really well, and it was supposed to be very cool. But the other thing about this era is it was not documented that well. Like other than these things we're talking about. I, now, if I'm, if I'm wrong. Alice Cooper fans are going to correct me on, especially Nashville Alice Cooper fans. I want to say that it was this tour that he came to do a show here at the Nashville Fairgrounds, actually, side of where Rock and Pod was, and um, in 1981, I believe. And it was Alice Cooper and like a couple of middling acts. And you know, Alice was popularity-wise was at a real low point here. So they announced a big concert at the Fairgrounds. I think they were playing like at the Speedway or something there. And ticket sales are just abysmal. So at the last minute, it was either Alice's camp or the radio station one somehow like got a leak out there saying there was like a a leak rumor going out saying that oh the rolling stones are in town and they might play at this concert (laughs) now i don't know if it was alice's camp that came up with this or the local radio station so word gets out that people think that the rolling stones are in nashville are going to show up at this alice cooper show so they end up selling like forty thousand tickets to this thing and then Alice did his set and no Rolling Stones. And I think I heard, I heard a lot of people were really upset. And, and Mick never showed. Oh, man. Hey, he Chris, was invited. Chris, yeah. just in case you're wrong, why don't you take a second and just give out your uh, email address and your phone number? And that way everybody can just pile on if, if that's not Decibelgeek at gmail.com. <laughs> I'm used to answering pissed off people there anyway. So go ahead. This is just the norm for Chris. It's no big deal. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so I'm going to play a song from Special Forces as well. And this one I chose because it really does combine the new punk version that they were going for with some of the old school. So you'll get like the punk in the verses. And then when you get to the choruses in the middle section, it's like, oh, it sounds like old Alice Cooper. And it's kind of this unique mix to me. So it's okay. called Don't Talk Old to Me. get it out of my head that so many of his songs make me think that this is part of a musical mm-hmm. just the way he writes his songs or whoever's writing it or performing it that it goes well and one of the reasons why his live shows are so amazing are the songs lend themselves to more of a theatrical performance so Unfortunately, though, it gets put in in my head. It gets put in the same category as somebody like Meatloaf. I was just about to say Jim Steinman. Yeah. Yeah. And now this this is before he got involved, right? What the hell did you just say? 
Uh, he was never involved with Cooper. Hey, now I'd love it if they well, had made a record together, who, but they never uh, had. Poison. I thought he, uh, Meatloaf's writer. That was, was Desmond Child. Desmond. Okay, but he it, he was also a writer with Meatloaf, right? I think well, I, Meatloaf. I thought, right? a, I thought there was a connection there somehow. No, for uh-oh. Poison. It sounds like it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Same thing. That sounds like uh-huh. a Meatloaf or whoever writes the, the songs for Mister Loaf. That that was. I don't know what's his. Real. <laughs> What does it look like on his paycheck? Like, when they write checks to him, what's his real name? I don't know. It says but, Meatloaf. Is it just said Meatloaf? What is it? Says loaf. The, Mr. Loaf. The Loaf. The Loaf. <laughs> the Loaf. I would go with that. But so, once again, unfortunately for me, though, that when it gets put in that category, I no longer like it that much. It just doesn't do anything for me. You know, to make me sit through a musical, that's my vision of hell. Like I hate days. musicals too. But so, and I, I don't mean to take away from it because it takes a lot of work to write a really intricate song that has lots of ebbs and flows and ups and downs and lefts and rights that makes it interesting and not just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, which is more prone to what I write and what I listen to these days or always. All right. I, I get it. No, he was definitely theatrical. That was his whole thing. He invented help to invent shock rock and mm-hmm. that was the whole thing with him but yeah i don't know i just it's interesting to me because it's very punk rock the verses and then you get to don't talk dun, 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 dun. right it's, yeah, it's, it's just very like all over mid the 70s alice cooper sounding to me but maybe that's just me what do you think chris i hear a little bit of lace and whiskey vibe yeah. parts of this song probably the most experimental he got in the 70s so yeah i can hear that that's a little bit of a bridge back to some a few years earlier not necessarily his best material but an odd song on that that's a different that's a very different song <laughs> i love it <laughs> that's my nicest way of saying that it's, yeah. got, it's also got vibes of fiddler on the roof like it's a half a step away from a polka it m- might be a little too musical <laughs> i think okay. you think you're hitting on something there yeah yeah okay i got you i got you that's what i do so funny that you bring up lay some whiskey the First time that I ever heard that album, Chris, I bought a cassette tape called, I think it was called The Face, The Man with the, I forget, I forget what the cassette was called, but it was a compilation and really it was just Lace and Whiskey on one side and Muscle of Love on the other, but they repackaged it with uh, a visual of him holding the snake. So it was like a a more recent visual. Yeah. I bought it at Walmart. It was cheap, you know, the cheap section and I didn't know what it was other than this tape that I had. So I had no idea what the actual albums were that these songs came from. But when you listen to Lace and Whiskey and Muscle of Love together, in a weird way, they go together, but two different bands completely, two different eras completely. But in my head, when I hear either one of those albums, it still goes back to that cassette tape. But Love Muscle, yes. That's great. The one standout track to me on Lace and Whiskey is the song My God. Because it's like a precursor to, you know, the current day Alice, because he grew up, him and his wife both grew up children of preachers, but it's like one lone period on a song where he taps into his faith a little bit, which not that I'm going to get all preachy, but it's just interesting to hear him delve into that, but also the song, the composition of the song and Dick Wagner's guitar playing and especially his solo on that song, really, really good to me. I Um, I think it's one of his better songs, but like the rest of the album, not not so much. Yeah, We have played on the program before. We played Man with the Golden Gun because it was supposed to be used for the James Bond film and it didn't get selected at the, the very end. But we played it on one of our, our movie episodes. Mm-hmm. So you have I, heard that I soundtrack, will, yeah. And I will admit to liking No More Love at Your Convenience, even though most people hate that song. But I, <laughs> I like it. 
Yeah, those are those are two interesting albums that they could almost fit in this category a little bit. Okay, so that was Special Forces 1981. So then again, the show sold well, but the album didn't. So. Hmm. I think what we need to do is just throw them back into the do studio. Do the same exact thing again. And not change a thing. Yeah. And even get the same producer. Well, that's what they tried to do. They tried to get the same producer, and apparently Alice wouldn't get out of the room. So he would lock himself in the room and write lyrics, and, and he and the bass player would kind of hang out, no telling what they were doing in there. And so the producer, Richard, how did you say it again, Chris? Podalore. Podalore. He didn't end up producing it. It was produced by Alice Cooper and the bass player. <laughs> Yeah, Eric Scott. <laughs> Eric Scott. Um, sort of out of necessity because everything was written in the studio. Like they didn't have anything. They just threw them in and said, put an album out. You got you guys need a hit. Got to you know, hone in on this punk thing you're doing and, and make it better and get us a hit. And that was the only thing they wanted to do. And they brought back Dick Wagner, who we have played The Frost. We've played Ursa Major. We've talked about Dick a lot. And I know Chris is going to fill our ears up with Dick Wagner stories here shortly. <laughs> especially with the next album. But he yeah. came in to write and play on this and he left midway through because apparently it was just, everything was just half-baked and it was a bad scene. Well, yeah. Alice was fully baked. Yeah, Alice was fully baked. The well, songs were half-baked. They were all freebasing cocaine yeah. and they were basically smoking crack. They were <laughs> and, smoking uh, crack before oh, it was a thing. Escalated and, to that. And uh, if you know anyone who smoked crack, they're not really the most motivated of individuals. So, Really uh, paying attention to what you're supposed to be doing kind of goes out the window. So, well, they're motivated um, to steal that catalytic converter when they need to. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, chore boy. Yeah, but no, like, but you know, it's if you know anything about Dick Wagner, especially in those years, um, if you're running him off because there's too much drugs, you're doing way too much drugs because <laughs> he wasn't clean by any means himself. Right. So we get a a sort of half baked album called Zipper Catches Skin in 1982 and the the picture on the back the album cover itself is it's fairly clever it's you know they use a lot of words and colored words to it's every lyric on the record yeah it's pretty cool actually mm-hmm. what they do with it to read make it read alice cooper but if you look on the back it's a weird picture of a gq looking alice with his hair slicked back and like wearing slacks but they they just kind of have it cropped but he's apparently zipping himself up and catching his skin that was that was supposed to be the effect but it does not come off at all he just looks really weird this is based on a true story then (laughs) i don't know sounds like it It you know everything was just poorly executed i think Mm -hmm. on this album but have you seen the tv commercial for it no i heard that they did a promo there's a tv commercial for it on youtube and it's it's him in a bathroom and it shows him (laughs) catching it catching it in the zipper (laughs) (laughs) not up close thankfully oh yeah we don't need that Excuse me. Yeah, hi. Are you Alice Cooper? Yes, hi. How are you? Hi. Okay. Yeah. I'm kidding. Have you got a new album coming out, Alice? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, brand new album. Are you with the press? Uh, well, no, I work for a radio station. Oh, 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 oh. I'm with the press. You are? Yeah. Oh. Alice Cooper. Yes, hi. Hi. Can I ask you a couple questions? Sure, of course. Go ahead. Have you got a new album coming out? Yes. Uh, who produced it? Uh, I produced it with Eric Scott, my first production in Warner Brothers. It's really happy with it. 16000 Hi. Oh, well, thank you. Have a brand new album coming. Yes, brand new album. You live in California. I was going to call it Shy Kidneys, but, uh, I think I have another title for it. Huh. Huh. 
And you can watch something about Mary to, to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be and get above Frank. Yeah. Let <laughs> <laughs> the beans of the Frank side. So tell us about your pick, Chris, because when you picked this one, I was like, oh, I'm so glad he picked it because I didn't have to. But yeah. Because um, it's, it's an amazing song. <laughs> um, the name alone, though, will just throw most people off. I wanted so badly to hate this song when I first saw the track listing because it just seems so ridiculous. No baloney homo sapiens for Steve and E.T. What the hell did you just say? the hell that means but no allison dick wagner wrote this together and this is i wish i had asked dick for the story behind the making of this but it, i didn't ask him at the time but I, I don't know it's just such a it's a goofy song but to a to a uh, benefit it's honestly in like my let me get my thoughts real quick on the whole record because like it's this album was my least favorite for a long time i like special forces more um but over the last couple of years it's kind of you know shine more in my opinion and there's some really good stuff on here i mean i could have picked anything else but i mean no baloney homo sapiens is just so odd but it's just a it's a cool track to inside one with and you can hear a little bit of the you know the mid 70s alice dick wagner you know chemistry from like welcome to my nightmare and goes to hell so i think there's a little bit of, of a callback to that but like zora's a sense of cool opener make that money that's another good one that dick wrote with him and like the middle part with the if the whole song was like the middle part with the where the guitar changes i would would have picked that mm. But like, there's there's a I better be good is a goofy song, but I would love to hear his current touring version of the band do that live because I think it would be fun. Oh, that would and be um, yeah, they just they're perfect for that because they can all sing. I am the future from the movie 1984. I like the song. I can't stand the movie, even though Ian wildly thinks I'm insane for saying that. Um, I've never seen it. Never seen that. Movie. It's it's kind of a throwaway B movie, but maybe you'll love it. I don't know. Everybody else thinks it's great. I I just think it's cheesy. There's your dog. It's it's a little it's kind of dark, but it, it, it's a decent. Movie. Mid '80s movie, I guess. But tag your it has kind of a viciousness to it. Yeah, I like, I like that. that. But like, there's so many more. Remarkably insincere is good. But then you've got like, I like girls. Awful song. Can't stand it. You know, there's certain songs that are just. It, it was like a, a period where he would try a lot of things, and amazingly, most of the records are are okay to me. But like when he fails, he fails big time on the ones in my eyes on certain songs. Yeah, I think what makes it cool is knowing the background on this album. Is this is a stream of conscious record right so you're getting what these musicians were thinking at that time there was nothing planned it was just this is what it is let's record it move on not deep thoughts. there's barely any overdubbing on this i'm sure yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of cool for that because it just it captures a moment mm -hmm. you know yeah let's hear no baloney homo sapiens robert just for you mm. yeah
Dick Wagner on that track? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I mean, kind of in the middle of the road on this one. It was it was better than the other stuff, but still just weird enough where I'm like, how do you sing that chorus like at a concert? Like, yeah, we're gonna sing along and <laughs> no baloney. Homo sapiens. Okay, yeah, they Yeah, he went from I'm eighteen to no baloney homo sapiens. Yeah, it sounds like they were going, This sounded great, man. Yeah, we're just fucking high as <laughs> it's hell. It's still got a big anthemic chorus. Yeah, it sounds he, like something he got from the seventies. The spirit is there. But the, the lyrically it's a little odd. Details are a little off, yeah. Yeah, and there are other lyrics and titles on this album that are just kind of out there. <laughs> just like I said, it was stream of consciousness where they were. Now that, that we know what time. was going on at the time, it makes more exactly. sense. When you're when you're whack on crack, yeah. this sounds amazing. You're smoking the hard stuff there, not just <laughs> wacky weed. So released on August or in August 1982, failed to chart in the U.S. Band were told by Mr. Cooper that they were not going to promote the album. And then a few weeks later, he was like, you know what? We're going to pause mm-hmm. a little bit. So if you guys need to make money doing something else, you might want to go ahead and do that. And so that was the end of this version of the band. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I've read some things where it describes this album as being more back to basics, early Detroit style, more like Iggy Pop. I see that a little bit. But I'm, I'm not quite there. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to choose a Dick Wagner co-write, and it's the other song that you mentioned, Chris, because 
And I agree with you. It's like the first part of the song, eh, it's all right. But then as you get further into the song, it becomes a really great song. And it's actually more of a detuned version of Black Widow. So it's kind of a, a rip on something they did before, but it works really well. So here is Make That Money. When I was a boy, I never played with toys. Never had a friend, never laughed or cried much. And when I was a boy, my father was a man. With a strict and sturdy hand, no soft touch. Make that money!
Okay, um, that's back in my wheelhouse. It started off slow, like you said it would, and once you added a few extra layers to it, all of a sudden it got me. And it sounded good, and just a good rocking Alice Cooper song, Allison Cooper song. <laughs> I almost said that. <laughs> forever scarred thank you but one thing that stands out about a lot of his music up to this point how it's sparse it's not the layer you know what we're going to get in five six years with the you know how i'm going to mimic the hair bands you know with just layer upon layer stuff big songs that sound great but it's just sparse it's you can clearly hear the guitar we talk about this a lot that there's not tons of effects in fact the beginning of that song the music sounded just like keys. Um, <laughs> don't want to steal your thunder. Well, that was right. really, really quiet. Yeah, it was, just, well, it was very subdued. Blow anybody's ears out. Kiss <laughs> after midnight. You do a better build up, so people expect it. That, but that was the uh, the unplugged kiss. <laughs> the unplugged <laughs> the acoustic kiss. Yeah, so that had the same feel to it, though. It was this early kiss music not the lyrics or anything or the stage antics but actually yeah stage antics too same thing a lot of makeup and fire yep exactly nothing wrong with that yeah and this was if you're noticing I agree with everything you said it is definitely I think they kind of like I said they kind of threw it together in the studio so I'm, I don't think there's a lot of overdubs I think it's just like get it down move on sounds good it's kind of what they did is what I'm hearing as well and you're right it's the, the one thing I did want to point out though is this is where the character of Alice Cooper changes mm. from being the victim, the whipping boy, to, to being the, the, sinis- the sinister yeah. villain. This was where he made the switch and that he stuck with that ever since. He never went back to the whipping boy. So. And I, I don't think I've ever noticed that. So now I've got to listen to it with that in mind because I came in late in the game so I just always saw him as this villain character. Yeah. Uh, Alice Cooper is back and he's pissed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's, well, he's really high, but high, he's sort of pissed. pissed. He's whack <laughs> on crack. He'd be pissed and high. Alice Cooper's back. I've been there. On crack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he basically put the band on hold, and I'm not really sure. I don't know if you got the story from Dick, but I don't really know what happened. I think what the, the catalyst for Dada, the next album, mm-hmm. the last album of the Blackout period, was that Warner contractually had one more album. I yeah. think that's what it yeah. was. And they were like, Fine. all right, bring back Bob Ezrin. My God, he, he did something with Pink Floyd, so he can do something here. Mm-hmm. And Dick Wagner comes back full-time to help write this thing and play on it and they put it all together and they got this concept album called Dada and if you want the details of this whole album and you want to hear it from the source Mr. Dick Wagner go listen to Decibel Geek episodes 134 or 465 Oh you got two oh, yeah, out of we, we re-released it because we were we needed a week off but also <laughs> like, what do we replace it with uh, yeah, Let's we'll, use one of our better interviews When do we get to do more. reruns? We've never done a rerun but We're not there We're not at 465 When, oh, we, when get we get to, to 465 Yes we can 464 have a rerun. then we're qualified to do yes, the next one Okay we're not there Alright But the very first Albums Unleashed Number one which is a great yeah. series that Decibel Geek has where they sit down with the artist and they go through an album Dick Wagner sat down with you Rest in peace and talk data. So give yeah. us give us the background on that whole thing. I mean, you told us a little bit, but yeah. So, so Mitch Lafon referred us to, to Dick, who was promoting his book, and we did we did a general kind of career overview interview to promote his book 
and he was so happy with how it went and how the how we presented it when we were done with the editing and stuff that he was like let me know if you want to do anything else so we kind of you know struck up a friendship with him and during that time he went on did like a book tour where he would do a book signing at a venue and then do like a little electric set with musicians at some, certain stops on the book tour and he had it set up to do one here in Nashville at um at Grimey's when it was still downtown and basement the original basement was down downstairs from that i think you've played there haven't you kevin yes mm-hmm. yeah um also metallica played there um i was but, not uh, with him that night yeah he was sitting in <laughs> oh yeah i had a chance to go to it but i slept through the message true story oh, um damn it. i was delivering papers at that time not a fun time in my life but no it was uh he came and did a did a book signing and he, you know he said let's meet up and we went to the book signing and uh rich meister dylan was in town from getting back from monsters of rock cruise so it was like a whole gathering thing we did and we did the book signing and then went downstairs to the basement and sandy Gennaro played drums for him and I can't remember the guy's name, and I feel like a jerk. Uh, Kirk McKim. They were both members of Pat Travers' band at the time. Cool. And lived here locally, and they just did a, an amazing set of songs, and and Dick sang, and it sounded great. You know, you he know you could tell he was not in great health, but he he pulled it off really well, and it was a fun show. And then the night, the next day, we met up at the lobby of his hotel while he was in town, and sat down and did the whole the whole talk on Dada. And the reason I picked it, as we do with Decibel Geek, and you, as you guys know, it's it's more fun to pick. You know, do I want to pick something that sold thirty million and has had six documentaries made about it? No. Let's talk about something that no one knows about, you know? And I, when I looked into Dada, I saw that he was so heavily involved with the writing that I was like, there's got to be a good story behind this. And it's kind of Alice Cooper's music from the elder. It's, it's the really, it's the biggest oddball in his catalog. And it was a, just a beautiful surprise that it meant so much to him to talk about the album in detail. Cause he hadn't really had a chance to talk. He's very proud of it. And I found some great stuff online because Alice Cooper fans, just like Kiss fans, will go into the tiniest details and will even come up with, you know, theories on what things mean. And there was a guy who did like a fan fiction of what he thought the concept of Dada was because it's it comes off like a concept album when you listen to it, but it's hard to piece together what what it is. What the concept is. Yeah, Isn't that the, the basic yeah, the premise is that you should know what the concept is? There's no thread really with the story. And that's the it, definition If you listen to it at fa- if you listen to it at face value, you'll be like, well, I can tell it's a concept album, but it's hard to to, to figure out what they're talking about. But this online theory for a lo- in a lot of ways was correct in general but then there were certain things where we'd bring up the the theory from the web and dick would just laugh and be like no he's not even close but <laughs> Um, but the general, the general theme of the album is it's about a multiple personality. So you, you get lyrics that kind of involve different sides to Alice's personality or whoever the character or Sonny is the character of the album. And Ezrin was heavily involved in it. And, but it's a very good, and I, I just encourage you to listen to it because there's a lot I could yeah, go into. But It is a great um, interview. And I, I listened to 134 and I listened to 465 and just have you know. Just to compare and contrast. Yeah. And uh, it's you know, the same thing. It's very much the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to two Kiss shows back to back. Sorry, I had to make the joke. Oh, it almost sounded. Lyrics just sound so consistent. Uh, <laughs> so it's weird. Here, here's what I noted here. So it's weird, creepy. It's a cryptic concept album that played out to the only strengths that Alice had left at that 
point in time, which was the genius of his insanity. Mm-hmm. And it did it really well because that's how it, when you listen to it, you're like, this person's not altogether there. And I think I like it. It's And he it, truly was not trying to go chase a trend or go for a hit on this one. Oh, it yeah. Was, this is just all over the place. And it's... That, if you yeah. ever listen to Rocky Erickson, I don't know if you have, Chris, but yeah. it really reminds me of a Rocky Erickson album. It has that vibe. And like he it's a big middle finger to the record company and the music industry. He he was he purposely didn't want to go for a hit. He wrote the weirdest shit he possibly could. But there's brilliance on the record, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean there's some there's some moments that aren't as great as well. But it, Oh sure. It it definitely is an interesting, interesting listen. So I'm gonna pick first instead of you picking first because I want to end with the song that you picked because it, it just makes sense. Especially the guitar solo. Yeah. But I'm gonna pick a song that because I wanted Robert to hear this. So I'm I'm picking a song called Fresh Blood Mm -hmm. and it comes off. So this came out in 1983 and it comes off like an Alice Cooper song, but yet it kind of comes off like a Peter Gabriel or David Bowie song at the same time. Think Mm -hmm. 80s Gabriel, 80s Bowie. Mm -hmm. It's like a darker vampire version of Sledgehammer and Let's Dance combined. That's very well put. Let's hear it. It is go go into it with yeah. that in mind okay. and tell me if I'm right or just tell me if I'm, you know, smoking crack. Mm. It's a weird one.
were spot on. Four yeah. seconds into that, I could understand what your reference was. Predates Sledgehammer by three years. Same year that Let's Dance came out. Those two guys, 70s stars, yeah. got big hits. Radio edit of this song and push, it might have worked. And uh, this similar era sounded like when the backup singers came in, kind of a Roger Waters solo album. Mm-hmm. Even, uh, even Dick's guitar is very Yeah, it, it's very the clean. I never would have guessed that was Alice Cooper. If you had well, just also, played it on another episode, never would have guessed it. And also Ezrin's involvement, you know, after doing The Wall. So oh, I'm okay. sure he had input on that too. Yeah, right. but still, that's I, I like that. I, I, I'm going to say I love that. That was a really cool groovy song that I could get into and it wasn't as theatrical and you know weird as some of the other stuff but it was just good music it was pretty weird <laughs> i mean for, for me you know what if, if i'm saying it's not that weird it means it's it's weird okay i've, right. I, I, I I've love played that song for fans that love like original alice cooper or hey stupid or trash and the, the, and the looks i get when i play it for like <laughs> yeah. what the fuck is that it is I'm not like, your alice, alice cooper man. that your grandmother listened to this is something very different yeah but i liked it so that album came out september 1983 no tour no charting in the u.s I think it did chart in the UK, mm-hmm. you know, high, but it charted. No songs ever played live. Is that still true? Unfortunate. That's that, still true. Wow. That's crazy. Not a single song ever played live. What was Dick's take on that? As far as why he never played it live? Well, just his, you know, obviously he put a lot into it. This is as much oh, yeah. a Dick Wagner album as it is an Alice Cooper album. Yeah. Well, Dick and Bob Ezrin had to pull Alice Cooper through that pro. Well, get him just getting him to Toronto to do the record was a challenge. Because Alice was so bad off, he didn't want to leave the house. But they get him there, and once they got rolling, it was fine. And I still think it, it's it's a great record. But I don't know, Dick. Just he hated it. He he said they knew going in that the record company wasn't. They made it clear they weren't going to push it, no yeah. matter what they put on that record. Contractual so, obligation, get it out. So while it was exciting to make the record because they could just do whatever the hell they wanted, they weren't getting pushed anyway. They also knew it wasn't going to get a push, so they knew it wasn't going to take off. Um, but he, which is the downside to it, because he was so proud of it but um him going through the memories of making it like he got emotional at times and oh yeah you, know, you, it was can, like, it, you can hear it on the recording if you go back and listen yeah. to that episode you can hear him getting emotional and but also it was a super low point for alice this was as bad off as he ever got the cocaine was real bad and also the alcohol had ramped up again to previous levels so he's poisoning himself in two different ways with two really hardcore things and it was a it was a huge wake-up call for him which that gives me a segue into my song pick um are you ready for me to do it or do you need to do some business before i go into it well i was just going to mention so coming out of this whole experience you know this ends the the blackout era because what happened was uh basically his marriage was falling apart like they were going to get a divorce and he had been with his wife since i believe the mid 70s Cheryl yeah she'd been 75 yeah she'd been very involved in the whole thing she was one of the performers on stage um, in the Welcome to My Nightmare tour and, and beyond but it had gotten to the point where they were going through the divorce proceedings Mm -hmm. and he basically he says that if he hadn't made the decision in the courtroom or or in the proceedings to say i need help i have to get sober that that would have been it and he probably would have been dead Mm -hmm. but he made that call and that saved not only his marriage but his life yeah and then he 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 takes years off after this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he goes until 87 you said yeah 86 86 86 
Yeah, he he went into rehab after the making of this record, and uh, it was uh, it was it was like the moment of clarity he needed because he had done rehab before, but this was this was the time it took. And I think also when he went into the sanitarium before from the inside, uh, Calico wasn't around his daughter, so this was a different situation that he had to assess about as far as him not only as a man but as a father and a husband. So Cheryl just said, "I th- this is it. Either you get cleaner, I'm I'm out." And with a kid involved, I think that just kind of woke him up but it took several years for him to even be willing to look into doing music again because he was terrified of falling off the wagon so let's dive back into pre (laughs) before he made those decisions and your pick because this is a powerful song yeah so and dick confirmed this when we talked to him it was this is the most this might be the most personal song he ever wrote about himself and dick confirmed it because he's like it's this is this song is truly a literally a man's cry for help if you listen to it it's yeah it's part of the concept of the character sunny and it's written with sunny the character in mind but it's also about him drinking himself to death it's about waking up getting drunk immediately uh you know just like throwing up blood and it's it's a it's literally him saying I've had enough probably subconsciously and um, it's a very emotional song it's hard hitting and then also Dick Wagner plays a solo that's like one of the most emotional solos you'll ever listen to and it's to me it's the most underrated guitar solo ever because it's amazing yeah I would even say and I'm going to say this in front of Robert which is a bold statement this would rival a comfortably numb type moment yeah to me it's build 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 and then yes it's an amazing song solo and if i haven't said yet the song's called pass the gun around and it, it, it's a dark tune all right let's hear it Stole vodka needs it really quick. Sees a little blood run from his eyes. Feels a little hotel paralyzed. Watching cartoons, the television's on There's a couple of party balloons and all my money's gone She was just a reason to unwind And actually the last thing I could find Let me float away Oh, float away 
bed Someone's pounding on the hotel door He wishes he was dead That is creepy. So I wasn't sure if it was Dada as in the art movement or Dada as in it's a, a bit of both. A little kid saying that. So I guess it is. Yeah. If you look at the album cover, it's both. Okay. Nice. Well, art history there. I was concerned because you almost committed blasphemy by comparing <laughs> something to comfortably <laughs> numb, which there's nothing. But I can see where you're going with that. I'll let you slide on this one. Uh, it it was, was Bob Ezrin. So right. There was a lot of the, his fingers all over that. But great song. Great song. Emotional. Like, you know, pass the gun around. Just reminds me of the deer hunter. That scene where they're passing the gun back and forth. Just a hugely emotional scene in the movie. And Might have him, been the inspiration. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know if it was the same around the same time. I have no idea when that movie uh, came yeah. out. Far off. I didn't yeah, see it. Was what, 80? Yeah, I didn't see it yep. at the time. I, I don't think I was ready for that. But That's a heavy on. movie. Yeah, <laughs> that is. God. Wow. So... I'm glad that he made that decision and that he came back and we got some good music and you and I got a good show at Chastain with some very fancy people. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's there's people that had like season tickets that probably didn't know or didn't care who it was. They just go to these concerts to be fashionable and, you know, hang out with their fancy friends. So I think the people right up front, those really expensive seats, they just go to every show and they look up, uh, who's this guy? Alice? Is that a guillotine? Is that a guillotine? (laughs) (laughs) Buffy, who is this performer? If you do a teaser for this episode, you should just say our next episode pairs well with cheese and wine. (laughs) (laughs) A nice Merlot and a Gorgonzola. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. That that was a good build up in his life to the big almost grand finale. It could have been the end, but thank that could have been it. W- imagine that if he did, if that go was on end. and just could have one too many nights, and that was his big send off. It would have been just oh, art. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it would have been art. Yeah. That- Wow, that would have been something. But thankfully, yeah, he's still out there for his wife and his daughter. <laughs> he's yeah. still out and there us. doing it today, and he put but, out a new and, album and this that year. Is amazing. The, yeah, yeah, he's still out there and can put on a damn good show. Yeah. So that brings us all the way through the blackout era, and uh, I mean. I had to do it with you, Chris. We had to get you involved in this because I've been thinking about doing this for, well, ever since the show started. And I'm like, if we do something on Blackout Era, I have to involve Chris Sinzak mm-hmm. because he... Oh, this is fun. So thank you for coming on and doing this with us. Now we're going to talk about the entire Road album. Yes. 
<laughs> Starting with the first track. Okay. No, we're not. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's for another day. It's not quite that obscure. Either, that's episode so. 454 right there. We got it planned out. Exactly. We'll just right. replay this one. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. I mean, such an interesting time. There's only a few artists that have these things where they have these lapses, even though they were still putting material out. There's just these lapses in the mainstream knowing that they even exist. Mm -hmm. And it's weird how that happens, but there's there's only a few of them out there like that. And and Cooper's one of them. So I felt it was proper for us to do some Alice Cooper on In Obscure. Well, and the fact that you're doing it on Black Friday, it just, it warms my heart to know that there's somebody listening to this right now now waiting in a giant line to buy a big screen TV at Walmart and they're hearing no baloney homies, homo sapiens. Well, I think that's just amazing. I think more than likely there's somebody sitting in a car waiting for their spouse to get done shopping. Yeah. yeah. Just like, oh, Yeah, they're God. listening to this and they're watching on their phone. They're watching whatever football game's on. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah big football day. Thank you again, Chris. Any uh, plugs you want to give Decibel Geek? DecibelGeek.com, all the major podcast platforms, Pantheon Podcast Network, and uh, yeah, you guys know where to go. Look it up on Google. And it's on still the, on the Google. And it's still free to listen to your podcast, isn't it? You haven't started charging it is, yet? Unless you want to join Patreon and get extra content, See? we always uh, could use more folks for that. Which I've been a card-carrying member for years. Yes. So. And it's yeah. much appreciated. <laughs> it's good stuff. The extra content is amazing. I don't know how you guys do that because I don't want to do anything more than nope. what we do. I don't have time for you, it. You don't get know a, how you do it. You get all the sexy pictures of Chris that he can't post on the regular page. <laughs> yeah. That's on the OnlyFans. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> only, only a few people know about that. And, and, and people out. pay me not to post nudes. So it works out fine. Yes. Let's, let's just be clear. That's not what I'm signed up for. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. You keep saying that. Yeah. Well, with that, we will talk to you next time. And thank you so much again, Chris Sinzak, for joining us. See you later. Later.